here. All right, you ready to roll? Let's do it. All right. Hey, listen, everyone, thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, I have my uh, my guest, PJ Capozzi, is, uh, is out of, as you can see, the background behind him. He's a, a, a published author from a different couple of times, and he's going to be my guest today on Donut Kick Your Coverage. And like our focus is with every one of our focus on our podcast, it's really about the high school athletes and their parents, you know, and the podcast series to help develop the skills that we all need, whether they're social skills, whether they're uh, honed in skills from a communication standpoint, whether they're coaching skills, whether they're parenting skills of dealing with athletes. Uh, PJ, like myself, is a former uh, uh, athlete as well. So, uh, you know, he works in a school district, so he is intimately uh, knowledgeable of what goes on on a day-to-day basis, whether it's uh, with uh, high school athletes or with their parents or with the coaches or the athletic directors, all the way up to him being a superintendent in charge of a school district. So uh, once again, uh, uh, PJ, welcome to our our podcast, and we're excited to uh, get you rocking and rolling. I'm excited to be here, Mark. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, so listen, if you could do me a favor, um, what, what, why did you start on this journey and, or wanting to help out young athletes and coaches and parents? What was it that really started driving you, you know, from your role as a K-12 person and then, you know, all the things you've done in your life as a coach and as a mentor to young men and women? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things that happened and they kind of happened in concert with each other and it kind of gave me this, this light bulb moment of um, should be trying to do something. Uh, to help. And so the first was, um, as a superintendent of schools, one of the things that I do is an exit interview with each of our seniors. So I sit down with them as they're graduating and say, you know, what do we do well? What do we not do well? Uh, What do I need to be aware of as superintendent? Because sometimes, you know, I sit in my office and I'm a suit, right? And so I'm not necessarily with the kids all the time and I don't necessarily understand exactly their experience, but my job is quite literally to make their experience better. And what we found is one of the questions that I ask is who's had the greatest impact on you um, in your time here? And there's a disproportionate amount of kids that answered a coach of some sort, whether it be volleyball, golf, football, um, that there's a a coach was the person that had the greatest impact on them in, in schools. And I remember having this kind of like almost moment of being ashamed because after the second year of hearing this over and over again, I realized that essentially all we were doing for our coaches was, hey, you want to coach? We're going to give you a stipend that isn't probably enough money. You know, you're going to make about $3 an hour for everything you're going to put into it. And if you can pass a background check, here you go, go impact our kids' lives, right? (laughs) And um, so we're doing nothing to train them or to support them. And at the corresponding time, my son, who's now a senior and will be probably a college athlete next year, uh, was going through a really difficult time with a coach um, that was having, again, a, a significant impact on him, social, emotionally, academically, and of course, athletically. Um, and so I was having this very personal experience with my own child of um, the impact that a coach can have negatively on their um, athletes while realizing that I'm responsible for hundreds of athletes and I'm doing nothing to prepare their coaches. And so at that point I felt like, you know, it's, I felt like a moral imperative to try to do something to help make this better, both for coaches and for athletes. Good. Okay. Um, so I know in, in the K-12 spaces, you know, is, is, is really different, you know, from the corporate 
you know, America that you know, we've been in, in the past, but it does have an impact to your point. You know, I think growing up, you know, you and I probably, uh, you're a little younger than I am, but, uh, you know, I grew up with Ozzy and Harriet, you know, uh, as the people and as the fans in the stands, you know, the parents. And, and nowadays it's, it's, I don't know, I can't even call it the modern family, the people in the stands that they're so crazy. And, you know, I, so you have to look at how do coaches get to be coaches and how do they change from being, you know, this coach that, you know, on the first day you hire him or her and they're wonderful, you think they did a great job, pass their background investigation. And then, you know, 90 to 120 days later, they're this screaming maniac, you know, on the sidelines or in the dugouts. You're like, oh my gosh, where, where did where this person come from? So how did you get, what, did, what made you make your transition to go, okay, I need to get out of my suit in my office and I need to get, you know, out more into the public um, with the kids. And I know you said partially it came because of your son, but did you find any more kids that were like that? He's like, okay, my aha moment was here's my son going through this, but how many other kids are going through the exact same thing with, you know, the good coaches and the bad coaches? Yeah. So I think there's an element of, um, and I think you're kind of alluding to this, right? Like society changing and there's a different uh, manner of which today's athletes can be coached compared to how we were coached. Right. I, so I like right. to laugh. My, my basketball coach in high school is now the superintendent of the district that I went to. And I tease him. I'm like, you would have fired you, right? Like, it, <laughs> like today you would have fired you if you were still. Right. Uh, so, so things have just fundamentally shifted and changed. And so we can say that's good or we can say that's bad, but it's reality. So we have to figure out how, how to deal with it. Sure. The, the issue is for me is that um, people tend to coach not because of their love of leadership or their love of kids. It's usually the love of the sport. Uh, and as a result, a lot of times we get people into these positions that don't have a great depth of knowledge of relationships, of structure, of leadership, of how to create peak performance in individuals. It's just that they loved basketball or were a college baseball player or whatever the, the prereq happened to be. And when we're working with with kids um, it, and we're hiring people and I'm I'm, you know, by default as the leader of the organization, hiring people to work with kids. Uh, it becomes incumbent upon me to help them understand how we can create peak performance in our individuals. And doing so doesn't necessarily mean that you have to yell and scream and carry on. It also doesn't mean that there isn't a place for that sometimes as well, right? Like that it's there's sure. not a one-size-fits-all approach to this. And that's not what the book that we constructed, myself and my co-author Brian Wills constructed, is about like this is how you should do it. It's about here's how you learn more about yourself so that you can better serve others. And here's how you learn how to learn about others so that you can meet them where they are. Excellent. Thank you. So, um, and PJ, what, what is probably the favorite part of your job currently and, and, and the least favorite part of your job? So least favorite part's easy. And that's the fact that I don't get to hang out with kids a bunch, right? Like, so I went into education because I wanted to impact kids' lives. Mm -hmm. um, so like the origin story for me in wanting to be an educator was at the age of 17, I went from a recruited athlete and, you know, president of my class and all of the things, right, um, to having cancer and not attending school for a year and having all that taken away from me. And so when I had all that taken away from me, the people um, outside of my family that stepped up most and were in my corner were my teachers. And I was in a bunch of advanced classes and college classes. And 
they would literally come to my house and sit with me while I was, you know, sick from chemotherapy and, and did everything they could to get me over and to get my life and keep it on the trajectory that it was on. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to do that. Like I wanted to be that person for somebody else. And so the best part about being an educator is that we get to have the opportunity to change the trajectory of kids' lives. Um, as a superintendent, I get to do that, but I get to do it from this big systematic standpoint, not the individual standpoint. And mm-hmm. I miss the heck out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the best part of the job is that I have become equally infatuated with trying to impact and change the trajectory of adults' lives as I did kids. And so as a leader of men and women, I get the opportunity to help see them for greater than they see themselves and help to elevate not only their performance, but their self-awareness and their ability to conduct themselves as productive citizens and hopefully change the community that we live in and the lives of the kids that we get to serve. Good. Thank you. Um, what, what is the one idea that experts in your field say that you just... That, what, you know, what they say that you might disagree with in, in the areas where maybe your book focuses on and how you look at that situation. I think that we just overlook. So I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say like I have a, a strong counter to it, but I would say that we have a dramatic um, in education at large. Uh, we don't pay enough attention to continuing to understand ourselves as, as the instructors or as the leaders or as the coaches. So almost everything we do in terms of developing people, it's like, here's the content in education or here's the X's and O's in coaching. It's not about like, hey, you, do you realize that every time you get yourself in trouble, it's because you're repeating these same behaviors and you're self-sabotaging yourself. Um, we don't talk about the self-awareness because it, it forces a, a level of vulnerability, forces a level of uncomfortability. For me, the, the entirety of any success I've had is in my career came after I started to have the awareness of who I was, what my motivations were, how my personality was impacting me positively, how my my personality was impacting me negatively, and how it was impacting my ability to change outcomes for other people. Because as leaders, as coaches, that's what we're here to do. We're here to change outcomes for other people. We're here to serve. And so we can't do that well until we have an understanding of who we are. And I think there's a predominance of literature of everything focusing on the other person and how we can, what we can, we can't do any of that until we have the internal victory of understanding who we are. Okay. So if you had the attention uh, of the whole high school athletes, coaches, and parents world for, you know, five minutes, what would you say to them? Uh, And in my experiences, this is really a, a global question for, all coaches in all sports and uh, administrators like yourself. For, for me, it would be that the internal victory comes before external victory. So the games that we're playing within our heads are almost always going to be the things that slow us down much more than our physical capabilities are much more than our X's and O's than our, than our strategy, than our content. So for us, if we're going to ultimately have success, the person we have to go to war with is ourself. It's in between our own two ears. And we are capable of much, much more than we can ever imagine, but we can't get to be, to, we can't even get close to unlocking that overall potential until we understand where our limitations are coming from that we're placing on ourselves. So my, my core belief is that the majority of the problems in our life we create and that we have this way of self-sabotaging ourselves. And until we are willing to look in the mirror, have someone that loves us, coach us, 
and helps us to see those things that we're continuing to self-sabotage ourselves for, we're destined to repeat those same mistakes. So if we want to put our life on a different trajectory, the person that we have to wrestle with most is, is the person between our two ears and to get to work and really understanding ourselves. Yeah, that's a, a great point. Yeah, I had a we had a coach in Philadelphia at the Eagles, uh, Marion Swan Fox Campbell was our special teams coach. And, you know, one of the things he said to us, we were on a bunch of kickers on the sidelines one time. And he said, you know, the biggest problem with you kickers and punters are. And we're like, no, he goes, the biggest problem is you got you always miss a ball by about six inches. I'm like, six inches. What the heck are you talking about? And then he points, he puts his two fingers up here, one on this side and one on this side. And he goes, the six inches, six inches between your head, you know, yep. from side to side. And that was so true back then. So, um, you know, here's the follow-up question that would be a good one to ask. If you had a giant uh, billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, and getting a message out to millions or even billions of folks, what would it say and why? Oh, that is a great question. Um, so I think if I had if I had a billboard that I could get to um, millions of people, how would I phrase um, what I what I would like to say? Um, so I would say my go to thing that I say to about myself all the time, and I I find a way to phrase it where it'd be more applicable is I bring all of me wherever I go, and what that that simply means to me is that. We, we don't get to compartmentalize in life. We try to, right? So we try to be somebody on the field. We try to be somebody in the boardroom. We try to be somebody at home with our significant others. But I bring all of me wherever I go. I bring all of my imperfections. I bring all of my gifts. So when we start to understand that we are one person and we bring all of that wherever we go, it helps us to understand that we have this amazing opportunity to go to work on ourselves to become the best possible versions of ourselves. We can't do that in isolation. And so I, I just find it fundamentally erroneous when we have anyone. So like for me as a leader, right? If I'm trying to create the world's best principle, if I am not paying attention to who they are as a husband, as a father, as a community member, then I'm doing the, the work entirely wrong. And so for, for me, it is that, again, we have to go to, to, to work on ourselves. And when we are trying to lead others, we are leading the entire person. So uh, when we break this down to the athletic standpoint, right, when somebody continues to make the same mistake over and over again in, say, basketball, right, that basketball is my love. Baseball is my sport. Basketball is my love. If they continue to make the same mistake over and over and over again, there there is a reason they're making that mistake almost very, very infrequently is that an effort issue. So if it's not an effort issue, then it becomes a, a, a manifestation of something that's going on mentally that we can work on, overcome. And sometimes that mental block is just effort, right? Is it time on task? Are we doing those things? But for me, if, if we can do anything as a, as a humanity, as a population, it's just to understand that we are a manifestation of what we go to work on inside our own brains. And we bring all of us wherever we go means that none of us are perfect. We're all fallible, but understanding who we are and how we can bring up the best possible version of ourselves at all times is the way that we're going to ultimately define our own success. Excellent. Excellent. That's a big billboard. So uh... <laughs> uh, are there any quotes uh, you, you think about often uh, or live by? Uh, or even have in your office to help inspire your staff? 
Yeah, so I have I have one that has a has a cuss word on it, so I'm not sure if I can say this in the password, but it, it basically says the only thing standing between you and your goal is the excuse that you've told yourself. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and that's that's uh, I, I cut out the cuss words, and it, but um, for me that's that's largely it, right? So wherever you want to get to, if you have self limiting beliefs, or if you've allowed yourself to to limit yourself and your capabilities, then you you've already played the game for you, right? So one of the things that um, I get most frustrated with my son is like before we'll we'll go to a showcase um, that he's going to get recruited at, or before we go. Um, and he's in a competition against a, a team that's ranked in the state or whatever. And I'm like, oh man, it's going to be a tough one. Well, like if you've already told yourself it's going to be tough, <laughs> then where, where are we going to go from here? Right? Like right. there has, to, we, we limit ourselves so dramatically by our own belief systems. And yes. I look just in my own career, right? Like there are many more talented people around me that I've had much more success than. And that's simply because I am not going to limit myself. I'm not going to limit myself by a fear of failure. I'm not going to limit myself by self-defeating attitudes. I'm going to go as hard as I can at the after what I believe in. And again, part of that is because of my experience of I'm a three-time cancer survivor now. And mm -hmm. so I don't believe that time is this infinite resource that we have. So I live pretty hard and pretty fast. And I go after things that I want to 100 miles an hour because I don't trust time. And so Correct. that has been like, it's, pro it's been good for my therapist, right, to try to process through that. But it's also been really good for me in my career and in my personal life is because I just don't wait around and wait for things to happen. I go after them. I try to make them happen. And I don't have, you know, like, I, I know where my talents lie. And I know that I'm not the most talented guy in the room, but I'm going to outwork you. And I'm not going to let some excuse as to why I can't get in the way of me trying to do something really amazing. Uh, that's very true. And, it, and that, that certainly comes down to, you know, how we look at athletics and, and kids and things like that. And, you know, just, you know, I, I belong to a group of guys that we meet every Friday morning and, you know, we pick a topic every, every week, mostly Christian guys. Uh, we pick a topic about things. And one of the things this topic was today is that, you know, I, I, I don't think that kids have enough adversity in their lives um, as we did. Um, and, and I don't mean that, you know, good, bad, or ugly. I'm just saying that, you know, kids nowadays seem to be like, if their adversity is, oh my gosh, I don't have the latest iPhone. You know, that's not adversity. You know, battling back from cancer, battling back from a career-ending injury, battling back from whatever it is, battling back from a divorce, parents battling, whatever that is. I think that adversity, especially as an athlete, I think you have to have some adversity in your life. Because if not, you're never going to have a baseline of what you think adversity is. You know, your adversity might be, well, I didn't get the new car. My parents told me my new Lexus, you know, or my, my new Mercedes. So I don't know if that's something that, that you've experienced in your life as being a, a three-time cancer survivor or not, and how you look at that experience. Well, I think that, that this is like, it's the hardest part of parenting is trying to allow your kids to have failure. And, and so the way that I always type I, I want my kids to have as much insulated failure as possible. And I use the word insulated intentionally, right? Because I want them to fail in a way that's not going to wreck the rest of their lives, but might wreck their week, right? Like, mm -hmm. because yeah, I want them sure. to have the experience of, of going through some stuff, right? Yeah. So when I, when I talked about earlier, my son having a really bad coach, um, I'm divorced and remarried and we've got a very good relationship between the two families and like both my wife and my ex-wife were on me like, you've got to talk to this coach. You've got to talk to this coach. 
And I just kept saying, like, my son's name is Jameson, my oldest. I'm like, Jameson's going to have a really bad boss someday. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to figure this out. This is on him to navigate the situation. It's not on me because when his boss in five years is, is being mean to him or unfair to him, he's going to have to advocate for himself. So the fact that this is happening in, in high school basketball, where he gets to come home and talk to us and know that he's loved, is the best possible place for him to have some adversity in his life because he's still loved, he's still cared for, everything's going to be okay. It's just that the basketball season might have gotten ruined. And that's okay because he's going to have a bad boss or he's going to have a bad this or a bad that. And so like, to me, that's a really difficult mental thing to do is to say, I'm going to be okay with my kid crying tonight. I'm going to be okay with his week being ruined. I'm going to be okay because ultimately life is hard. Life is going to punch all of us in the face. And if the first time you get punched in the face is when you're 24 years old, because your parents have protected you for the first 20, 30 years, it's going to be a big sting. But if you've been able to get punched in the face at 10, at 12, at 16, you're going to be able to respond much differently because you've gone through those blows before than you have. And so to parlay it back to the question, right? Like, I feel like I've been able to weather a lot of storms in my career because those storms look pretty mild compared to fighting cancer three times. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, and so like yes. that perspective matters. And so we have to mm-hmm. work hard to provide that perspective. And that's why I love athletics is because that is the one place where we seem to allow our kids to struggle and fail more than anywhere else in life. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Hey, so is there a, an, is there an unusual habit or absurd thing uh, that you love about uh, being a superintendent or, you know, being an author that helps to drive you and to want you to help people uh, in our industry? The biggest thing for me in terms of being an absurd habit is understanding that we can push our bodies to do really difficult things um, that are uncomfortable. And I think that that's where like all truth kind of comes from. And I know it sounds really kind of meta and whatever else, but like when we think about what the the process I like to lift weights, right? Like, so the process of lifting weights is literally breaking down your muscle and your body is going to withstand that and build it back stronger. So to go back to your last question of like adversity, like that is literally how your body gets stronger is by destroying it, by working Mm -hmm. hard enough that you break it down. And if you don't work hard enough to break down, then you're never going to know the joy of the pain. You're never going to know the joy of the discomfort because on the other side of the discomfort is where the, the magic kind of happens. So my, like my absurd habit is that I'm usually up four or 4.30 in the morning trying to lift heavy things in order to get stronger at 42 when there's no, like, no semblance of athleticism left in my body, right? Like, sure. like this is not like I, one of my buddies asked this question a couple years ago. He's like, are you the strongest you've ever been right now? I'm like, yeah. He's like, more than when you were in college? Yes. He's like, well, why? And I'm like, well, why Why wouldn't I be? He's like, well, you're happily married. You're not going to ever play another competitive game. And it's not like you're getting in a bunch of street fights. So like, what are you doing this for? I'm like, I'm doing it because I can't. Because mm-hmm. I have the opportunity to push myself beyond what I think my limits are in order to continue to get better. And so mm-hmm. to me, that is the essence of life. And that's why athletics and, and using our bodies to me is so important. Thank you. Yeah, I have um, a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends, uh, who was, you know, pretty much given up for adoption on his uh, on someone's doorstep when he was first born. Uh, his name is Al Vaughn. He is the only seven-time Mister Universe uh, in the world. 
He's uh, 73 years old. Uh, when we were in high school together, um, his senior year, uh, he did 3,333 sit-ups in one day. Uh, he's been a professional bodybuilder, no steroids, doesn't take any steroids, uh, battled back from cancer, had some throat cancer about two years ago, all kinds of surgeries back and forth. And you should look him up, but he's, uh, he's the only seven time Mr. Universe. And he, he competes against 30 year olds, 40 year olds, 50 year olds, 60 years olds. And, you know, I, he just keeps going, you know, we're like, we're like the ever ready bunnies, you know, right. we just keep on going. We don't let anything stop us. And, and, you know, I was an army ranger, as you know, and so going going through that a lot of it is mental you know there's a there's a, a definitely a physical side of being an athlete and but also a mental side of being an athlete and it's that that one percent uh and sometimes that's what you have to look at you know how do you keep on building that body up and down and why do you keep doing it and i was like well i, I have to do it i have to keep on going because if i don't you know, it's like everything else. If you don't use your muscles, you're going to lose them. And I, I don't want to lose them. So I, 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 like you, I try to keep myself in some shape, uh, some form of fashion. Not that I want to be out there and, you know, on the, on the uh, beaches, uh, looking at the guys I can beat up just from a standpoint of just my own physical awareness of that. I want to keep myself in shape for as long as I can. 100%. So, um, you know, you, we talk about the, the, the cancer you've had at the three times. And so how has, you know, and I'm sure you consider that a failure in some regards, but some, in other words, a success. So how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for the later success and the successes that you're, you're enjoying right now? And do you have a favorite failure of yours? Yeah. So my favorite failure was my first year as a principal. So I got named a principal at the age of 27 years old, which is very young in, in the industry to, to take over leadership of, of a building. So side school principal, my first year, first year in a couple months, I ended up terminating 20% of my staff, which in education is almost unheard of. Yeah. In terms of trying to clean house and trying to do what's best for kids. And after the board meeting where we let go kind of that last chunk of people, there was a student and staff protest of me, of my leadership, a walkout. And uh, I remember sitting, and so it's a unique experience when students are protesting you as the school leader because you still have to supervise the students. <laughs> so I'm outside pro supervising their protest of me. Um, and I'm sitting on this wooden picnic table, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I got 30 years left of doing this. Like, it can't yeah. all be like this, right? Like, at yeah. some point, something's got to happen. And I would love to say, like, I had this great epiphany in that moment and, and figured it all out, but it took me some time. But what I realized in that moment was, from the time I had been like 12 years old, everyone had always called me a leader, right? Like I was captain of all the teams. I was president of the class. I was president of the fraternity, I, like all of those things. But my definition of leadership at that time was just, I was able to get stuff done. I was willing to outwork or outread anybody. And I kind of learned in that moment, like leadership is not about getting stuff done only. It's about also impacting people and helping people see themselves differently and impacting their hearts and their minds and, and influencing people. And up until that point, I was just kind of of the, the philosophy, like I'm just going to implement policies and protocols. And we're going to get things done because there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And so in that moment, in that summer, really, uh, between my first and second year of becoming a principal, I kind of realized, hey, the secret sauce of leadership is really touching the hearts and minds of other people and helping pull them forward and being a broker of hope 
and to help them understand why the change is necessary then to help usher and support the change as opposed to just dictating it and mandating it. Um, mm -hmm. And that really was the change in my entire career. So that's when I went from kind of this high potential, um, but really not really successful leader to all of a sudden having a lot of success. And um, that's kind of carried me forward in everything that I do and that I've realized that like leadership's about people. It's mm -hmm. just simply a people business. And if I can't mm -hmm. interact, relate and help people, then I'm not doing anything uh, that's going to be sustainable or effective for the communities that I serve. Sure. And, you know, I, of course, in, as a superintendent of a school district, you know, you, you know, we see all these things out on TV and the internet of, you know, people going to school board meetings and, you know, all the things that we see and hear and read about that, that go on in a school board meeting. And, you know, having had been in the, the K-12 space myself for a number of years uh, doing IEP and RTI stuff, you know, uh, I was firsthand witnessing it. And I happened to get into it on the side because a, a guy I worked with at Oracle many years ago uh, asked me to help his company out, uh, develop uh, some new RTI and uh, IEP software. Uh, and one of the things I learned was I, he said to me, hey, if you're going to take this contract on, here's what you need to do. I want you to go on to the website and go to Fulton County School System.org, whatever it's called. And uh, on a Friday night, I had a glass of wine and I sat there and watched the, the Fulton County School Board meeting. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. This is, you know, it's, it's an eye opener, right? Yep. You know, Jerry going Springer from, <laughs> it really was, you know, and then I happened to, and then when I got involved in it, I literally was at uh, Charlotte school district where the, the band parents uh, were up in arms because they were going to cancel the band. And I don't know how many people showed up, but I was involved in that. So, you know, to your point, you, it's almost like from a leadership standpoint, it's indoctrination by fire. I think when you get to be a superintendent sometimes, because, you know, you can learn everything you can learn from a principal standpoint, but until you're the man or the woman, you know, life can make changes for you at an instant that you may not be able to control. So, you know, that brings us up to a, a question, especially around COVID. So in the last five years, you know, pre and then post COVID, what new belief or behavior or habit has most improved your own sense of being like each day and around people you interact with uh, and how and what do you see you have to do now in speaking to others when they go from, hey, we were locked down for a number of years. Now we're coming back, you know, um, things that the NCAA are doing with the six-year eligibility and the transfer portal and all those kind of things. Do we ever get involved in those kind of discussions uh, with uh, your team members there? Yeah, whether I like to or not, right? I mean, COVID yeah. was a thing, man, and and especially in the K twelve space, and every state handled it uh, a little bit differently. I would say the thing that um, two things that I learned the most: one, kind of internal and external from the the COVID process. Internally, I realized that uh, my health anxiety as a result of my own experiences was much worse than I than I was willing to admit prior to COVID. Because at the outset of COVID um, and not knowing really kind of threw me for a mental loop um, as much as I've ever been on in my life in terms of anxiety um, slash depression. So like I realized that I had some stuff to work on myself internally, externally. Um, if anything, it's funny because it's by far the most like hate mail and the most Jerry Springer ish our board meetings have <laughs> ever gotten because if, you know, if we, if we wore masks, then you know, we were infringing on people's liberties. If we weren't, 
um, that we didn't care about kids, right? Like, so either way, we're getting punched in the face. Right. Right. Uh, what I actually learned there was I think I grew in terms of my empathy because what I learned is that which we had people on just polar opposite, dramatically polar opposite sides that were so convicted in what they believed in. And they all believed in that for a reason. And so mm -hmm. if I just took the time to listen to the reason and understand them, we could have a conversation, even if we didn't disagree. If I wanted to take a position and say, we are right as a school district because we're doing this, then the conversation would go much different. And so a lot of our conversations when it came around COVID was like, look, I am doing the best I can for the most amount of people with the rules I've been given by the state. I'm not telling you I'm doing it right. I am just saying mm -hmm. I am doing my best. Mm -hmm. And being able to have the conversations in that light allowed us to navigate through it relatively unscathed in terms of a district, right? So some people still don't like me or some people, and, and again, on both sides, some people thought we were too conservative and we should have not had masks. And some people thought we were too liberal and took too many risks, right? So people are mad on both sides, which makes me think I did my job well, right? Um, if, if, if both extremes are upset. Um, but through the whole thing, I learned that like, again, like I said before, people bring all of them wherever they go. And so some people, you know, were mad for, and if I would just, take the time to understand the reason and I could have a conversation with the person. If I didn't want to understand the person, I took on their position and that's where the conversations got really difficult. Mm. And needed. Right. Okay. Yeah. It was, uh, I'm sure that you had lots of meetings and even conference calls with other superintendents across the United States about what they were doing and how they were doing it. But thankfully that's behind us now. Uh, so, you know, as a, as a superintendent of a school district, uh, and around athletes uh, and athletics, especially with your son and you and you and I both being former athletes, uh, when would you tell high school recruits to get in the game of reaching out to college coaches to develop the relationships between the athlete uh, and the coach? Well, I, I'd say that the the preparation to reach out to coaches starts the minute you get to high school. That doesn't mean the reaching out to coaches start the minute you get to high school, right? But mm -hmm. it's understanding that you are creating a body of work. Um, and that body of work, uh, you know, it's football season, doesn't just take place Friday at seven o'clock. That means that's your course choices. That means your other leadership positions. That means how you're going to conduct yourself at practice as a freshman that might not play on varsity and how you're going to set yourself up for that. So I would say the prep work starts absolutely um, as soon as as possible. I would say in terms of the the connections to, to schools, I would, once you start to be a varsity athlete and you're having success as an athlete for your school, then you can start to think about what's going to be the next state. Um, but if, if you are not able to have success on the field, on the court, um, on the diamond of your, of your school, I would say put your attention and focus there. Start to have success. Once you are starting to have success there, most coaches that are worth the salt are going to start ushering you through the experience and helping you to find out what the next thing is. So for me, it's it's take care of building your total resume, then take care of what's going on on the field first um, as you compete, and then start to to look as to what the next step for you is. Okay, um, and and thank you for that. I know that sometimes with um, you know with with me and the book I wrote, my my last book, and probably within your book, you know, we have to deal with the parents. Um, I I mean, I think at some point in time and. A lot of the people on my on the podcast that listen to me, you know, are parents, parents of kids I, I coach. And they believe sometimes I'm too hard on the parents. 
Um, but then I, I, I believe that a 16, 17 year old kid who is driving his or her own car should be able to drive their own social media and, and not have, you know, all the tweets and all the social media coming from mom and dad, because these colleges are getting smarter as, as we get down, for instance, you know, all the, all the folks, all the folks that I see that are QA people, uh, or GAs, uh, in college right now, or 22, 23 year old somethings. And they can tell when a mom or dad is, is tweeting back to a coach on a, on an initial relationship that they're trying to develop. And, uh, you know, like one of the things I said was, I don't know any 16 or 17 year old that uses semicolons in a tweet, but I know oh, certainly a lot of it at all. <laughs> you have to get any punctuation. You're like, okay, that's, you know, Right. And I've, I've, I've had a lot of mom and dad say, Mark, that is so, you are so spot on. But, you know, to, to your standpoint, as, as they get up, I have this thing called the sports parents university. I talk about the freshman year and the sophomore year and the, the junior year and then senior year of what, you know, what every kid should go through with his parents. Um, so I know that with your own son, you know, he probably has his own developmental things he's doing to get ready for school. And I hope, I hope he gets uh, the scholarship offer he wants. And more importantly, goes to the school that he wants to go to. Right. Cause as you know, and I both know, sometimes parents can, uh, can really be uh, hard on where they think little Johnny or Janie should go uh, and what college they should be heading towards. Um, so I know you got your book coming up. I think it's, is it ready to be published now? The third one or fourth one you've been on? Is it, is it so almost yeah, done? Number, number nine uh, just okay. hit the, just hit the stands a couple weeks ago. It hit number two on the Amazon uh, bestseller list for, uh, for coaches. So we're, we're pumped. Okay. That's awesome. So, and where can people find that uh, on, on Amazon? Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, it, it, you name it. It's all, all the all the big box ones, but uh, okay. Amazon is where we to direct people. And what's the title? The, what's the title of the book, PJ? Cracking the Coaching Code. And it's uh, yeah, Cracking the Coaching Code, and it's it's designed to to use Enneagram, which is a, a personality profile, to allow mm -hmm. coaches to understand themselves and then to understand their athletes, um, in order to to hit each kid exactly where they're at. Okay. So with, within the book, what can people expect for you and, and what you're doing next and your partner and any new gigs that you're lining up uh, in not only in your area, but other speaking engagements you're doing throughout the United States and abroad? Yeah. So um, I'm on the road about a hundred days a year at this point, talking to executives and school leaders and the tip, my typical focus is on time management. So that's kind of where I become an expert and, and get to travel the country and do, do all those things in terms of breaking into this, this realm is, is pretty interesting. So in Illinois, it's been fairly easy because that's where we're both from and have uh, a bunch of connections. Um, but the book has kind of taken on a life of its own. Um, we, we gave it to two people to review um, before we published it. And from those two people, um, it made its way all the way into USA Baseball, um, to Clemson University, um, to uh, USA Gymnastics. So we're having kind of a very interesting uh, national reach at this point. Um, so- Excellent it's, it's starting to get some traction. So we're, um, but it's interesting because as much as the speaking consulting world seems to be one, it's, it's really niche, right? So this is, this is all kind of a new um, world for us to get into the athletic venues compared to the academic. Um, and my, my co-author is an entrepreneur and a doctor. So uh, he's got, so he's got one side of it. I've got the other side of it and we're both new to um, 
to the athletic side. So right now we're working with a bunch of the state high school athletic associations and kind of working through those domains in order to, to get in front of as many coaches as possible. So thank you. So do your, is your focus really on, um, is it part academics and part athletics or is it 70, 30 more weighted towards the leadership that, that athletes have to do as well, or is it just really just on the coaching side that you're trying to focus on? So I'd say that it's um, <clears throat> there's not a ton of talk about academics in in our concepts. It's it's I would say it's a hundred percent on self awareness, but it's then figuring out how your level of self awareness as a coach or as an athlete impacts those around you. Um, okay. So one of the concepts we talk about is um, there's a lot of different types of people or types of or people with different personalities that might want to be the captain of a high school team. Mm-hmm. In order to figure out and to maximize who you are as a potential leader is to understand your motivation as to why you want to be the captain of the team. Is it because you just want to put it on your resume? Is it because you want control? Is it because you want to serve others? Is it because you think it's the best option for peak success? Once we start to be able to answer those types of second and third level questions, both as an individual and then as a collective, as a team, is where we can start to have a significant amount of success. And so for us, it's about, again, figuring out who we are when we look in the mirror, both as a coach and as an athlete, so that we can figure out how we can better impact those around us. Okay, excellent. Um, so we talked about the book, but is there? do you have a, a specific website for your speaking engagements, or do you have a, a public speaker company that you use to help you out with these gigs? And, and if so, uh, uh, where can where can people go to learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm a part of a, a handful of speaker bureaus, but I usually send people just straight to my my website, which is just www.pjcaposi.com. Um, okay. And then the this site specific to the book, um, which connects you to both Brian and I, is cracking uh, cracking the coaching code the book.com. Um, and it goes and it gets into detail about the different um, coaching. Uh, speaking and then consulting that we do around the concepts that we we built out in the book okay so as we close pj what what is the one final thought that you want to leave our our listeners with today if you don't mind yeah absolutely so um as you said you know in our in our prep work the the majority of people that are listening to this are most likely parents of of athletes and i just want to be very clear that i think that our best opportunity is to understand that no matter how much our son or daughter wants to succeed in athletics, that um, all of them at some point are going to become leaders of their family, leaders of the community, and leaders of their own organizations. And so as um, as we build it out, I would just hope that we are putting as much energy and effort into creating the best leaders and people that we can, um, as well as athletes. In the same way that we are willing to drive an hour and 45 minutes to get our kid on the best travel team or the, give them the best coaching possible. We should be investing just as much in developing them, um, them as the best possible people uh, and leaders for their future families, uh, for their communities, and for their schools and teams as well. Um, and that's the, the impetus and the focus of our book. Awesome. Okay. Well, once again, PJ, thanks very much for joining us on uh, Donut Kick Your Coverage. And uh, I'll tell you what I'll do, uh, everyone. I'll have this podcast probably out live on Monday, uh, since Monday is actually the best day uh, that podcasts come out according to the podcast, you know, <laughs> world out there. And uh, I want to 
thank you again, Pete, for, for spending time with us today. I know you've been extremely busy. I hope you have an awesome weekend. I hope you have an awesome weekend with your son and the rest of your family. Uh, take care of yourself. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon and seeing how well your book's doing. Really appreciate the opportunity, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. God bless. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.